As usual, we want to get right into the episode. So we really hope you enjoy this episode with Jason Yarusi, active real estate syndicator and investor. Have a really great conversation about awesome real estate discussions and some uh, ultra marathon running, things like that. So really hope you guys enjoy. As usual, stay tuned for the end for Mine and Landon's recap into what we're doing with our lives. Hope everyone has a great day and enjoy the interview. Right here, we got Jason Yarusi, active real estate syndicator and investor. Really excited for this one. So much to talk about. Finally, we're able to get it on the calendar after multiple reschedules. Jason, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Excited to be here. Yeah, I w- once I read your bio from, I'm assuming your assistant, she sent it over. I'm like, Landon, we got to get him on right now. Um, you know, I saw a real estate investor. We haven't had any real estate guys on yet. Um, ultra marathon runner, which was what really sparked my eye. So I want to make sure we touch on all of it. Let's just hop right into it, man. Tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. So I'm down here uh, south of Nashville, Tennessee. I live here with uh, my wife and uh, three little guys, six, four, and two are their ages. And uh, I'm an active uh, syndicator, which means that we pool resources from investors so we can buy large apartment buildings so we can all benefit from the economies of scale. Uh, in my lack of free time, I found time to run daily. I get up uh, very early, uh, have a specific morning routine, and run. And that's been really parallel to a lot of what I've implemented in my life to get after my goals and then find the progression to go out there and achieve them. Wow. I love that. And I, I'm going to make sure that we're, we touch on the running a little bit later. Let's talk business first. Um, tell us a little bit more about how you started. Question first, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. 42. Okay, cool. So now in the beginning, you know, we're, we're around 25 right now. Where were you around then? And how did you develop up until Yerusi Holdings came to be? Yeah. Fantastic question. So it's always growth stages, right? Um, at, at your age, I was living in New York City. Um, I actually lived in New York City for 13, 14 years. Uh, met my wife there. We were um, running some um, very busy uh, outdoor bar uh, called The Frying Pan, uh, where we saw it basically, I think, 12 times its growth in the time we were there. So the, the, the business just exploded. So we, we had a good time learning that side of the business. I opened a, uh, a brewery and uh, New York City opened a solder brewery, opened uh, some restaurants in New York City. So we were in that life uh, for some time. Um, towards the end of our, I guess, time in, in restaurant world, uh, Peely and I became a couple and uh, she was pregnant on our first child right, um, uh, right prior to that Hurricane Sandy had happened. Well, my dad had this heavy construction business still has it today, excuse me, where he lifts and moves houses. He actually takes buildings and raises them higher or moves them to a different location for a lot of different reasons. But when the hurricane happened, all his work became flood work. So I helped him go out there. My brother who was working for me at the time went out there with me and we started helping dad just really scale up the family business where he went from doing something between 12 to 15 projects a year to up to 250 to 300 projects at any one time. So during this time, purely pregnant, having a baby, we just knew that man, we got to find a way to get back our time. We got to find a way to dial in and get back to control our time, control our life, control our outcome. Because as you can find in most jobs, if you don't work, you don't get paid, right? That's just how the world is. And into construction, that's the same thing. If you don't show up for work, of course, you don't get a paycheck. So what came to our mind was real estate. So what we thought 
was the natural progression is, oh, we'll go out there and start flipping houses. Peely got a real estate license and away we go. Well, we quickly figured out that we were so busy with the construction company that we were out there helping dad grow. And at the same time, we've just added on layers of active, active and active on top of that. Going away from our goal, we said, well, this isn't it. What else is there? And Peely met someone um, at an event, a friend who was investing in really real estate out of state. What he was doing was finding properties, putting together a team, and that was allowing him to use his strengths but not have to do all the active work that came with that. Light bulb went off and we jumped all in on that, but quickly realized that buying the ones and twos and three unit properties was not scalable. We couldn't really do that on a macro level, on a large level to accomplish our goal, to get cash flow, to really just give us that life and the ability to take control of our, our daily practices. What I did find was that there was this thing called buying large apartment buildings. And that's where the idea, when I when I heard it, it sounded very big. It sounded very, you know, grandest. And I was like, man, that's crazy. But at the same time, it all made sense. Cause just like we did in, in the restaurant world, is that if you're running, you know, a 20 unit restaurant, a 20 seat restaurant or a 200 seat restaurant, it's the same practices, but you get more economies in your favor when you have the larger restaurant. Well, the same thing with the apartment building is that as you scale up, you get more things in your favor. So we sold our small properties, sold our two and three unit properties and went all in on large apartment investing. And that brought us in the 2016 that we just started finding people who were doing this successfully dove all into just learning the ins and outs of what they were doing and why it was working. And that led us to start actively searching for deals and to close our first deal in May of 2017, which was a 94 unit in Louisville, Kentucky. Wow. I could take, I could take the questions in a million directions, but I want to talk about, I want to ask you what your opinion is slash your advice on getting started in real estate. A lot of the folks that listen to our podcast are young entrepreneurs, young people in the business world, maybe they want to dabble in real estate or they want to learn about it. What's the what, what are some fundamentals as far as, you know, upfront capital, raising money? You just talk about that side of it because I know that's kind of the barrier of entry that a lot of people look at real estate is, well, I know you have to have a lot of upfront cash. One, is that true? And then two, um, what are some strategies that you that you use towards raising money in, in your world now slash other in other places in real in real estate? Yeah, it's a great question. So real estate is, it's its two words that we we assume gives us one space, but it but encompasses so many different things, right? So we could have, you know, tax liens, notes, flipping, wholesaling, uh, Airbnb, you know, small apartment investing, large apartment investing. You, you can just have so many different realms and they get lost into those two words. And that's what happens with most time when we say we want to get into real estate, we get lost in the lights because every day there's a new shiny object that carries us forward. So Ultimately, you have to get back to your goals. What is it that you want and why do you want to get in real estate? What is it going to provide for you? Are you looking for you know, generational wealth, wealth, portfolio diversification, cash flow? Are you looking for tax advantages? What is it that's going to stand out to you? And then ultimately, that's going to lead you to try a space. Now, is that space going to be right? I don't know, but sometimes the best questions get answered by finding what you don't like rather than what you do like. Um, I once uh, we we were running a pretty big meetup in New Jersey. We had about twenty five hundred members, and uh, I'd have a guy come for you know time after time, come to our meetups month after month after month. And um, after a while, I've just seen like, why aren't you taking action? He's like, you know, I, I finally I was learning about flipping, right? So I spent. Uh, almost two years learning about flipping. And I finally went out there and, and tried to do my first project. And I just found that I just really so disliked doing working with contractors that I don't want to do it. 
Well, that two years of learning, if you just had gone out there and taken action, whether it be to join up with another flipper or to, you know, go out there into a project or just find a smaller deal, he could have quickly out, you know, outlined that he didn't like flipping and got himself onto that next role. So sometimes we try and take on so much information to figure out everything we need to know, but the best answers come from us trying to get better questions to get to the better answers. Well so said. for multifamily, you know, there, there's a lot of different ways that you can be of value to deals, right? You, you couldn't be someone who could be lead generation, right? You could be picking up the phone, right? You could be making connections. You could be going to meetups. You could be, you know, finding owners, going direct to owners. Uh, you could do underwriting for deals. Uh, you could be the asset manager, a person once the project is underway, who handles uh, the details and works with the teams to make sure the plan is going accordingly. You could be the balance sheet, the one who has the net worth to be able to do the loan. Uh, you could be a person who is investor relations, helps um, connect investors who are looking to you know uh, invest in these types of deals. So there, there's a lot of different ways that you could be active in real estate, not all of them account for you, just like the story says that you have to have your own money, your own everything to be able to do the deal. If you're going to do this as a solopreneur and try and take on a deal yourself, yes, you are going to have to have access to capital. You're going to have to have different things be bankable, you know, uh, be bank worthy for the loan, um, be able to either raise capital directly or have the source or have the connections. But if you're part of a team, you're going to add value to that team. You don't necessarily have to have the capital to get started. You have to be eager. You want to go out there and take action and then uh, align with partners in a way that you can provide value. And like I said, it could be whether you're uh, you know, a bird dog out there finding deals or someone who's really good with numbers and you're back there crunching numbers and analyzing the deals. Those both could be roles that, that really don't take a lot of upfront capital, but could be very valuable to your team. Mm -hmm. And that's a perfect segue into my next question is how important, how much of an importance is finding a mentorship in this, um, in this industry? You know, it, you go in a way that if you can find a good mentor, what it does is that, sure, there may be an upfront cost, but you cut out the timeline of lost and you cut out the uncertainty of not knowing where you can find the answer. And where that does, it extends the timeline for you to get to your goal. So it goes, how important is your goal and how quickly do you want to reach them? Because if, you, if you're not in a rush, you have no time in the world, then you know maybe a mentor is nice, but you're not going to be focused and you're not going to be aggressive to reach that goal. But what it happens with the mentors is not the big steps, right? So buying apartment buildings, we know that we have to find a market, we have to find a deal, we have to find a bank, we have to find investors, we have to uh, be able to close in a deal and have a plan. Okay, so maybe those are the big steps. But what are those small in-between steps of, you know, uh, making sure we're complying with SEC guidelines or finding a syndication lawyer or knowing um, who is going to be the right property management company, what questions to ask? Those are some of the questions that are the in-between questions where people get lost and not having a mentor on their side, they can get sidelined and sidetracked for a couple weeks at a time because it's not something you can easily search on Google. So mm -hmm. that's where people get stopped in their journey. But when you have a mentor within the, that question that maybe seemingly stomps you, you can send a text and within five minutes be back on your journey to get after your goals. Mm -hmm. And that's the, where I think the massive ambiguity within real estate is, you know, people just like, oh, I make money. I'm just going to throw it into real estate. It's like, okay, what are you going to do? You know, there's, uh, and all the things you just listed, there's so many things to go about it. Right now, I'm just you know reading up on it, um, seeking mentorship about it. I definitely intend to go into it, but I wanted to talk about one specific strategy that is the most, um, in my opinion, social media wise, probably the most uh, attractive and popular right now is the the Burr strategy. 
Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you're very familiar with it. Why don't we talk about a little bit more about that? It sounds so simple. What are some of the problems with it? And uh, you know, can you tell our listeners how you know all the steps, what exactly goes into it, and we'll go from there. Yeah. So buy, rehab, rent, uh, repeat. I think are are, are the acronyms right yep. there. I think uh, refinance is in there. Refinance, well. refinance in there. So typically, a lot of times, this is said to be done with a house or a smaller property. What this is, you could you could buy it and of course improve the value on it. And once you now put it in, so it now brings back income by by getting it stabilized. You can uh, you can now refinance it to pull your equity out. Right now, you, what you have to take into account here is that your project, your size, and your bandwidth, right? Because maybe for you doing this one project, that may be all the the capital you have. So if you're tying yourself up to this one project, that may be the only project you're able to do. Um, the next part is to make sure you would be able to get the value out of it with the repairs you're going to do, right? So making sure your numbers are crunching out. So if you do X or ABC to the property, it's going to get you to two times value that you can pull out the money you have in there. Three, making sure that the banking industry is going to be in the same position with all the moving factors that when you do this project, you are going to be able to get out and you are going to be able to, you know, pull pull forward in your capital. But we do do this on, on a larger level too, right? This is seemingly approach we do in apartment buildings. If we go into an apartment building and maybe it's 75 or 80% occupied, um, it's still in classic uh, condition, meaning there hasn't been any um, newly upgraded units or it hasn't been really any refinishings or any exterior renovations to, to rebrand it or remodel it. We'll do this to the context of raise capital and bring investors into these projects where we're start at one value to add value through forced appreciation, doing things like going in there, improving the interiors of the units or cutting down expenses through um, either management efficiencies or utility efficiencies. And when we do that, say it becomes a year down the road and our income is approved, we'll go and do a refinance and be able to pull out investor capital where they can still stay into the deal, but not have their capital tied up into this one deal. And then notably, they could now invest with us in another deal or go go put their money elsewhere, sort of basically double dipping by being able to use their money repeatedly to be in multiple investments. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of that is that all that money that you pull out, if you roll it into more real estate, it's not taxed, which is that yeah, is a beautiful way to create more wealth. Yeah, you can um, actually on the refinance, it will be it's 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 not taxable until the the of course sale event occurs. And then so if you do have the sale, you could roll it in with a 1031 or even to, you know, you could put your um, sale proceeds in the opportunity zones. There's a number of different factors, but that's one of the the nice parts right there where you can at least keep that money out without having a tax uh, event until later time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that tax event would definitely kill uh, eat into it. So Another segue into another question would be a lot of people have some pushback about, you know, managing the property themselves. I personally would rather be the most passive possible Mm -hmm. um, so that I can, you know, use my time elsewhere. How much does it eat into the cash flow when you hire a property manager? How important is having a property manager for you? Um, I know that one of the points that we uh, were instructed to talk about a little bit about this was how to maximize income on your property with effective asset management. Sure. Why don't you dive into that a little bit more? Sure. So when you think about buying a large apartment building, right, you're serving as the investor group who now does the, the management, uh, the asset management. However, there is going to be property management. So the asset management is talking about the, the repositioning plan. How are you going to make the asset from what it is to perform how you know or how you think it can be? 
in the day-to-day practices is the property management company. Now, the groups can be one the same. However, it's two separate businesses. So noting your roles and noting your strengths, you have to look at yourself and be reasonable to say, okay, can I both be the investor and the property manager? And my time spent as the property manager, is that going to be most um, fruitful for the property itself, but also our overall business? So if I'm there, you know, doing the day-to-day practices, can I still be finding more properties and expanding my growth and expanding my network? Because ultimately, it's a full-time job. To get lost in the property management world, you, you need to have scalability. And that's where many times people fail is that having one or two or three uh, smaller properties, it's hard to, hard to scale and it's hard to be um, really impactful as a property management company. So if you are looking for a large apartment building and you find property management companies, they're going to be much more professional because they're they're more warranted to have so many units under management. So it's easier for them to do. Whereas smaller single family property management companies is typically uh, harder to find them because it's a lot harder for those groups to, to really make the bottom line work for them. So for us, we're always looking at the point that we find it's better to install proper third-party management, professional third-party management that's very versed in the asset class. So if we're searching for apartment buildings, we want to find someone who uh, does B to C uh, assets that have around 5,000 units plus under management uh, are really in our market, are ingrained in our market. Because what that shows is that if we find a 100-unit apartment building and we bring them into the repertoire, we're just going to be a speed bump. They're not going to have to learn practices you know, for our property. They're not going to have to install principles to try and figure out how to manage our property. And we can focus on making sure our plan, say we're looking at a rebranding plan, a rebranding plan, a repositioning plan, you know, unit uh, interior upgrades, and we're looking at a lease up strategy. We can now focus on making sure that our plan is working in terms of what we're having the property management company do instead of trying to see if our plan's working, but learn the practice of managing at the same time. Makes makes a lot of sense to me. And, and so I want to talk about your team and and you know, I see in in your in your write up that we have on you is you know you guys manage seventy five million dollars over seventy five million dollars in assets um, across eight hundred and fifty multifamily units, um, and that's that's you and your wife have, have founded uh, Yerusi Holdings, correct? So, talk to us about your team. Talk to us about you know in, in the world that I live in, assets under management is you know people's retirement assets or investments, right? Um, how does that play into? Like, I, I assume that you guys have investors that are that are that are providing you capital that you're taking and deploying into these large, uh, you know, multifamily unit properties, correct? Correct. So we do either a 506B or a 506C syndication where we raise capital from investors uh, and then partner with our capital. We now serve at the capital for a down payment uh, for CapEx for fees and for closing costs. And what we do is we partner that with a debt structure so we can make the best use of getting the best returns in the property. Um, those investors are private investors and whether they're, uh, it's their individual money or retirement money or um, you know money they have um, in uh, another faction that they're trying to roll in to get different returns. And they'll do this for a number of different reasons, right? So um, sometimes it is that they're just looking for depreciation, right? It's a way that they can capture a lot of losses, which real estate can provide against some of their other active real estate, or they may be looking for, you know, um, cash flow that can be consistent, uh, or they're looking for an asset-backed investment or portfolio diversification. So there's a lot of different reasons why these investors look for these types of opportunities, because it can give them a nice hedge. And some of the other investments that they may be in. 
So if I'm a person that wants to make real estate passive and give it to a holding company like you, mm-hmm. what differentiates Yerusi Holdings from a Grant Cardone Capital or a Fundrise? So two two parts here is that I'm approachable and I'm I'm, I'm reachable, right? And so you're probably not reaching um, one of the um, mm-hmm. sponsors at Fundrise. You're probably not reaching that at Grant Cardone. We're really honed into our market. We're really market specific. So our Nashville MSA, Louisville MSA, those are two markets that we know and we're, we know the ins and outs of. And we make a very big relationship with, with investors. We don't treat them as a number, right? It's a point for us is that we don't consider ourselves raising money. We provide opportunities. And what that said is that I'm never going to come to you with a deal and say, I need your money because that's not going to put you in a good position. It's also not going to make me feel as if I'm in a good position. We mm-hmm. come to understand how we can serve you best because maybe we can't. Maybe even if I think I have the greatest opportunity and it's a seven-year hold, well, maybe it's not a fit for you because you want to have your money only at work for six months, right? So regardless, I want to understand who you are why you're looking to invest in multifamily, what questions I can ask and how you're looking to have our investments benefit you. Because then I can know quickly whether or not I have opportunities that may serve a purpose for you. And on the other side, it also allows me to understand how much capital I could potentially raise for future opportunities. So we're always building our network to understand who we can help and how we can help carry them forward to reach their investment goals. And that's what makes us stand out because we're not treating investors as just uh, another you know notch on the belt. I like that. And that's a, that's a great answer. And, you know, do you have options for like a capital appreciation option and an income option? Uh, we don't, it, it depends. We're single assets. So each asset has a different approach. Um, yeah. Most of our call a similar formula. We typically do a preferred return with a split afterwards, uh, but we're typically not looking at um, assets that have no cash flow. It just that's not our business plan. We want to make sure that we have a split of uh, day one cash flow and then on the back end and not just be heavily aligned to the back end because we feel there's too many risks um, that could be warranted with changes in the market that could be outside of our control and we wouldn't be balanced out to reach our returns. Awesome. Landon, do you got any more questions based on real estate or are we good to pivot here? I, I wanted to ask just quickly, talk to us about your team. What kind of what does your team look like in, sure. in all of this? So my strength is asset management and capital. Uh, we have Alessandra who does on uh, underwriting and due diligence, my wife on investor relations. Uh, we have partners on deals in a couple of different capacities. Um, some come in on the lead generation and underwriting and due diligence factor and some uh, on our investor relations. So our main internal team is, is Peely, my wife, Alessandra, uh, who does underwriting and myself. Uh, and then we have a number of other partners like we talked about earlier, is that if people have good opportunities out there and can, and can provide a good lease source, uh, they can partner with us on deals so we can help put together what is our track record to help them get the deal across the finish line. What I want to transition to selfishly because of the fact that I'm training for my first triathlon right now, I, nice. the, the hundred mile mindset that you talk about, you're an ultra marathon runner, which is insane. I can't even fathom running a hundred miles. Why don't you talk a little bit about that, how you got into running, how you're able to physically run a hundred miles at one time. Uh, I want to hear it all. Yeah, sure. So I started running at a necessity because, you know, all the friends I used to play sports with um, no longer were, you know, too busy with work or our schedules didn't align or what. So I found running um, back in really like 2008, 2009, and just started up. And I'd always played sports, played sports in college, and it was just not something that um, I did was run distances, right? So of course, I started with a mile, then I had a goal with living in New York City at a time to run the New York City Marathon. And that was that first start. So, you know, I built up to that, you know, 
know, the, the trainings for, for running a marathon, you know, where you start doing your, your one, two, three mile weeks, you know, four, five, six, and you build yourself up to your 20 mile races. Well, it did a number of marathons, a number of races like that. I've done that over the years. About three years ago, I, I heard four years ago now, I heard about um, ultra marathons. I just never heard of it. It just never had come across my desk. And I said, I mean, that, that just sounds awesome. And so I looked into what it was and what it is, and it's just a compilation of races that are all different distances, um, seemingly over a marathon least uh, um, length, but provide all different um, obstacles along the way. So I did my first one was a, a, a 50 mile, um, 12,000 uh, foot elevation um, run um, up in Ithaca, New York. And uh, that was an awesome experience. But what I learned from that is that the plan is not always the plan you need to have. Um, so I'm really strong in the uphills. And I, so I, I had a plan going in um, because, you know, funny enough, I don't look at the courses beforehand. So my plan was don't run or run the uphills and don't get my feet wet. Well, third mile in, it's too steep to run the uphill. The fourth mile in, it was uh, the first of four rivers to cross and my feet were soaked. So after that, I said, well, okay, new plan, no plan. And that's sometimes what it takes out there is that you have to understand that you have the goal, but you have to, you have to really enjoy um, your time in the journey. So the hundred mile mindset is that we get so laser locked on what this goal is going to be, you know, um, anything like I'm going to be a billionaire or I'm going to have this great car. I'm going to meet this incredible person, but you focus so much on the goal. You forget to take that first step. And so you never reach that goal. And the, the marathon or the ultra marathon is a series of small steps that lead you to, through the journey to the ultimate goal. And running an ultra marathon, they say it's the first 50 miles with your legs and the last 50 miles with your mind because it is. Because if you focus on running 100 miles when you haven't done it before, you're going to scare yourself off the cliff and you're never going to get started. And that's a lot like our goals. It's a lot like what happens with us is that we get these grandiose goals, but because they're so far to anything we've ever felt or ever touched, we won't start because it's too scary for us to get out of the gate and get going. But if you think about what is that first actionable step? So for me running a hundred miles, I think about, okay, I'm out of the gate. Can I just get to mile six where it's the first aid station and figure it out then? And then I do that to the next aid station, maybe around mile 13. I do it again and again. And next thing I know, I'm at mile 50 and now mile 60. And now maybe 70, I'm starting to say, hey, can I just run to the bridge? And then it might become, can I run to the tree? And then it might become, can I run another 500 steps? And it become, can I just get that next 100 feet? And then you turn around and there you are, 100 miles. And that's a lot with everything you need to do in life is that if you can just not stop yourself and just tell yourself, can I just get to that next point, see what happens and figure it out and see how that can take you along to your goals instead of telling yourself that you, you know, I probably shouldn't because I don't think I can because the goal is so far from my mind can really picture that it's just, it's easier for me not to get started. It's funny, Tony and I run a book group and we just finished the book, uh, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. So we're super high on this like long distance, you know, grind, so to speak, right? Yeah. Um, what 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 did your training look like leading up to all no. this? It, again, like you get back, like you start doing marathons, right? And like, maybe you'll run some 20 mile races. So going into hundred miles, I didn't know what I didn't know. So it wasn't like I was going to run 80, like two 80 mile races, like, like a couple weeks after the race. So I just said, okay, what can I do that I can control that's going to put me in a place to just be ready when I don't feel like being ready? So I just started running six miles 
every day. And I was in New Jersey at the time. Every day, whether it was cold, hot, rainy, uh, you know, snowing, um, my knee hurt, my ear hurt. I didn't feel well. Um, you know, rough day. Just, just every day consistently to get my mind ready because having my mind ready became more important than having my body ready. Seven, of seven days, seven days a week for yeah. How I ran long? Um, last year. I ran every day. I ran. I think I ran wow. twenty five hundred miles last day last year. Um, but I just ran every day, just, just regardless, Consistency, every day, baby, every day. And that's it. You're never going to have that perfect day where you say, you know, today's the day I'm going to get started. No, you're going to have the day where you say, you know what, maybe I should just start tomorrow. Maybe I'll feel a little better. And then you don't do it. It's just like hitting the snooze button there out of bed. Like tomorrow I'll get up early tomorrow, but it never comes. Today's the best day. Today's the best time for you to take action, the best time for you to get out of the gate. Right. And you'll get yourself moving that way and you'll teach yourself small wins like that are going to build to huge accomplishments. Right. I can just imagine the mental toughness that you've built through, you know, physical suffering, physical pain. You know, you, you, you really take your limitations and raise them a lot higher. I, I, I want to ask you a question, just a, a very specific, curious question, because I, I guess my perception before I started reading about ultra marathons, reading about these hundred plus mile runs is that you're literally running the entire time without one pause, one stop. Maybe, maybe just from the book that I just read, can't hurt me. My perception's a little warped because he was kind of, uh, ran himself into the ground all the time. But what does that look like from a standpoint? Like, are there individuals that literally just go from the finish line, start and, and literally go 100 miles straight without stopping? There are some, yeah, and there, uh, but there, are, there's eight stations. So say maybe you get like I don't know, uh, eight eight stations in between. So you could take you know your 10, 15 minutes at each eight station and and you know catch a drink or something. So right. th- there's those pause stations in between that are meant for that, or you need to change your gear, or change your clothes, or whatever. Uh, but typically you're running eight stations throughout. So I've been trying to do them um, under 21 hours um, has been usually my timeline. I started uh, just wanted to be under a day, and those were um, my first goals, but I did my first one in 22. So I just been backing them back from there. Wow. wow. What does your nutrition look like throughout the race? Uh, that's a good thing. So it, it's, you get to a point where you have to keep yourself fueled, right? Cause I think my, I think we did the data in one of the races I burned off like, like 17 or 18,000 calories. You literally die. <laughs> yeah. So I was, yeah, my wife makes me these, uh, like small protein, uh, chocolate chip pancakes and then, uh, some, uh, peanut butter and honey sandwiches, uh, and then water and, um, some salt tabs to try and keep my water in, um, are usually my main intakes. Um, because there, there comes to a point where, you, you have to keep eating, um, even when you don't want to eat. And that becomes halfway through the race, just cause you got to keep your fuel level under check. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so crazy how, how much running translates to life. I always think about that just cause it's so hard. And, and for me, especially I, I literally hate running so much and that's exactly why I do it because I like to do the things I hate because it calluses my mind for them when in business, if I don't want to do something, I realize, oh, I just ran today, so it couldn't, it can't be any worse than that. Yeah, um, that's great. The amount of physical suffering you put yourself through because it, it becomes beautiful in a sense because life is literally suffering, and so if you can continuously callous your mindset by you know doing something uncomfortable, it's amazing. So I really attribute to you the the fact that you can run an ultra marathon. It's awesome, and the the second part is the fact that there's no type of training that that simulates 80 miles in of how you'll feel. You know what I'm saying? Like you've never trained of like of of running 100 miles to to train for this 100 mile ma- marathon. You know what I mean? Well, um, the interesting thing about it is that you you are in a like an emotional paradigm like where you you will feel great 
followed by feeling awful, followed by, you know, like euphoria. It's just, it's a, it's always that part. You, you get the full range of emotions across the long run like that. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, you don't even know how you're going to feel after mile 50 or after mile 60. So it's like the, the fear of the unknown as well is so, so crazy. And like you said, the, the emotional, <laughs> the emotional ups and downs of the whole thing is crazy. I get, I'm on a five mile run and I, the emotional ups and downs for me are crazy. So I can only imagine. You know what you find with these is that that's where you get back to just finding that next moment. Just can I just get to that one mile, the three mile, the five mile, and not or even you know the half mile, the one mile, the half, the, the one and a half mile? Because if you think too far ahead, that's where your mind you know plays tricks on you. I think in that book, David Goggins said like you only use like thirty percent of your capacity or something of that light, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know our minds are always trying to talk us back from where we can accomplish because they're trying to keep us safe. Yep, just one foot in front of the other, man. It's uh, it's amazing. How do you, so? How do you go about turning any setbacks into your life into an asset? I know that's something that you preach pretty regularly. You know, give us some advice on how to live the most fulfilling life. And I want to touch on why wait why you wake up at exactly four thirty two a.m. Yeah, sure. So you look at your life and you say, well, there's going to be setbacks. There has to be, but is there a lesson here? Is there a lesson to be learned? Right. Cause if we take it away and we assume there's no lesson, then ultimately we're going to do it again. Just repeat the process, noting that it happens, but it's going to provide something of greater value to you. That's a way that you can turn away the negative energy that, that you think is upon you and push a positivity on you. So what is that lesson that can be done to help me be better in the future? Because noting that each day is just a, a, a representative of, of what that day is, but not the overall life you're having, right? So, you know, if the sun never came up, you know, or, or we just had darkness, we would never appreciate the sun. If it only rained, we wouldn't know how great it would be to have the sun or anything of that light, right? If we just think of the contrast of it. So thinking about how we can turn what we find as negativity and start to put positivity in it. And it starts with us changing the words in our mind, right? We, we typically say, I can't, I don't want to, I don't know if I can. And if we just put in, I, I can, I will, I'm going to find out how and start using that and catching ourselves when we're using these negative words, we're going to be able to change our mindset pretty rapidly to start looking for the positivity and start looking for the solution and not just trying to point out uh, what, what can't and what won't and saying, okay, well, I, this I'm saying can't, but how can I? And if each time I do that, I start to train my mind to look for the good, to look for the ways to win and stop focusing on all the reasons that this couldn't happen. Wow. We, uh, we, we definitely have to have you come back on because this is just the tip of the iceberg, I think, of a lot of the conversations that we can have. Um, but but I, before we wrap up here, I want you to tell our guests about, I know you have uh, the multifamily live events coming up, the three-day live events coming up. Talk to our guests, our listeners about uh, those events coming up, the dates, how they can, you know, how they can chime in and get access to that. And then any other ways that we can follow your journey. Yeah, I appreciate this guys. So Peely and I, we've had so many people reach out that are always looking to to get into apartment investing. And, and we've had so much fun just helping people get themselves out of the gate. But we wanted to put on a three-day event that just really dove into all the components, all the mechanics of you want to find deals, you want to find talk, how to talk to brokers, how to find property managers, how to underwrite deals, how to raise capital, how, what you do when you get the deal, how to take it from just a deal that's average into the best deal that there can be. That's what we're going to tackle on this three-day event. It's June 10th, 11th, and 12th. It's a live virtual event. Uh, You can go there. You'll find everything we do on Multifamily Live, how we take our properties, find our properties, and just make them better places to live. Uh, The link is multifamilyliveevent.com. Again, multifamilyliveevent.com. And we'll be sure to put that in 
the the link in the description when we drop this. Um, awesome. You know, before we wrap up, Jason, is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with? Any you know, thirty second quote, some something cliche or something unique? You know, I think for your audience, one of the things that that always keeps us at bay is that we're so worried about just the big goal, the big overarching goal, because we haven't haven't faced that success. We haven't felt it. Um, but if you can put in the question and say, okay, I, I want to do this, but if this is so important to me, what happens if I don't do that? Because noting it, the, the question becomes, it's bigger than, you know, can I do this? Is if I don't do this, what happens? What happens to me? What happens to my life? What happens to my future? What happens to my family? What happens to my friend? If I don't go out there and do the greatness that's instilled in me and put that forth to, to find the greatness I can do, what is the result? What will I not have in my life? Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, you know, I'm so grateful that we started this podcast so that we can get high level people like you on here and have access to talk to people like you. So Jason, thank you so much for coming on and we're really excited to continue following your journey. Thanks guys. Appreciate you guys having me. Have a great day. Too. interview man jason was awesome i'm really glad we that was our first after doing this for about a year our first real estate guy glad we were able to go deep uh, dive deep into that we had adam hires on and that was a cool conversation but it was more so like logistics and about the life of a mortgage broker and how that process looks and works and how it flows into the industry but this was a little bit more of a hands-on you know look on the investment space and, and how he builds his business and and even just some of his personal stuff yeah, for sure. I love the fact of just talking the legit logistics of how real estate works. People think it's so easy, but there's so many things that get involved with it in terms of how to raise money, the proper ways to buy real estate, whether you should be a wholesaler, real estate agent, or investor, how to maximize your income on your property, um, where to find deals, the Burr strategy, so much stuff. And then on top of it, the guy's a fucking ultra marathon runner. Talks about a hundred mile mindset, you know, for someone who's trying to do a triathlon right now, thinking about an ultra marathon, I just ran six miles today. I wanted to die a hundred miles, bro. I loved his, his insight on, we asked him, how do you do it? Like, how do you go about motivating yourself to just put one foot in front of the other? He's just like, oh, I run from little object to little object. So now what I've just been doing when I'm tired, I'm just running from stop sign to stop sign. Just get to the stop sign. Let me just get to that stop sign. And it's really helped me. That's been a huge, huge factor in my runs lately. I think there's a key, like takeaway. All these successful people that we have come on, they 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 just bring something different to the table, and they're able to take. There's they have something and some type of quality that allows them to take large amounts of people's money and put it to work to that person's advantage and their advantage. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, it's a very like you know, broad statement I just made, but, you know, Jason's a perfect example. I mean, the amount of assets they have under management, as you guys just heard, I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're doing, they're doing really, really big things. And, uh, I think it all starts for how he treats his body, how he strengthens his mind. And, and that's really a common denominator with everybody that we've had on. And, and the biggest takeaway I could have is, you know, a lot of the things you do, you're doing indirectly 
are what correlate to the actual big picture results. Yeah. Well said, man. And guys, don't forget, he's got a three-day multifamily event, June 10th to the 12th. We'll have that link in the bio. Also reach out to him via LinkedIn, Instagram, all that good stuff. So transitioning away from that, we're finally on video again. How you doing, buddy? Doing good. Where The question is, where is this video going to even go? Are we going to put it on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook? Who knows, right? Yeah. When are we going to stop fucking sucking and actually start <laughs> making snippets of these things? No. I actually just took a really good screenshot of the funnel of things that have to happen. You know, you make a macro podcast, then you make long form content via Facebook, LinkedIn, and then you make little short clips via Instagram, all that stuff. So we got to work that funnel. It's just about desire. We appreciate the feedback and it's been the same feedback for the, for a year, more video content snippets, you know, 30 second clips of good conversation, good statements people made it. You know, I, I think I think it always comes down to we're running and gunning in our careers right now. We're working so hard there, so that we're we're trying to not do the bare minimum because we're we work hard at this. So there's no question about it. Like we spend hours a week doing this thing, but um, it it will take our podcast to the next step when we integrate video in a more intentional way. And I think it's not a I think it's it's a matter of just you know there's no trying. It's just you do it or you don't do it. And I think we're we're, we're, we're going to do it. Yeah. And th- and there's no bullshit behind like you and I are legitimately grinding. It's not like we're, we're actually getting after this business and you know, our results are showing it's funny enough. If you are watching this on video, Landon and I just got out of the same exact meeting. It kind of shows you the difference of the, the, the type of people we are, you know, Landon, obviously you're in the office right now. So you're in that, the whole, uh, sport jacket coat. Look, I'm here with a fucking backwards hat, my crop, my chain out, um, uh, just in a t-shirt. I kind of I love the fact of how we work together and I know we can't dive too deep into what we actually do in terms of solutions but the 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 way you and I have been able to cultivate this relationship via the podcast has translated so much into how we deal with clients and we kind of know what each other's going to say we hop in you know today I was just so impressed with the way you worked with this guy because this guy was a you know blue collar worker working with some high voltage electricity and shit like that, you know, t- tattoos all over the place, smoking a cigarette, you know, you're not going to come into this as super formal, you know, just kind of jiving with what the client is like. And I think that's a huge, um, you know, huge game changer in your, what you're doing. Yeah. And I think it's like, if you think about it this way, I forget where I heard this and I don't remember if I was with you when I heard this, so you may have heard it too, but there's someone out there that, that made the statement about clothing, right? Um, you know, you don't walk outside butt ass naked, right? Now, that's really showing your true colors, right? That's really showing like everything that you have to offer to the world. No one ever does that unless they're a little insane. Um, if you're going to a pizza shop to pick up a pizza and you're coming from your house, you're probably going to have a t-shirt and shorts on. If you're going into the office, you might have a suit on. If you're you know, taking your girlfriend out to dinner, your wife out to dinner, or your kids out to dinner, you're going to be dressed a certain way. I think the same thing goes. It's not about being fake. It's not about being a fraud or anything. It's being your genuine self in that environment and not being anything outside of who you are, but just gauging your audience and trying to ask good questions and be yourself authentically in the pocket of who you're talking to, right? Like someone that I, you know, in our world, we could talk to someone that's 80 years old and we could talk to someone that's 20 years old. The conversation is not going to flow the same way. You can't show up the same way or it's just, you're never going to be effective at what you do. You know? And that, that's where, the difference lies in people who actually adapt and make shit happen in this business and pretty much any other business and people who stay stagnant. It makes me mm. think about 
the the passage I just read in one of the books that I'm reading, there's only two paths that you could possibly go. And keyword paths. I'm not saying destinations, paths. You can either go down the path of mediocrity and regress, or you could go to the path of mastery. There's only two ways. You can rather go and try and master something. I'm not saying you're going to reach mastery, but the pursuit of mastery is what we're looking for. And if you're not going down that road, you're failing. You're If you're staying stagnant, you're failing. And we're continuously trying to get better as individuals. And that's not tuning our own horn. We're just listening to people who, where, who are where we want to be. And we're getting after it. Yeah. That's it, man. Um, yeah, what I'm really excited about is the new office. That's just going to be done within a week. I'm going to be making so much video content. going to be doing so much work there. I got the sit-stand desk, the big L that we were talking about, the... I got a nice brand new couch, huge TV going on the wall, neon signs saying consistency wins, got these massive posters coming in, crazy paint. I'm doing it right, and it's going to be fucking phenomenal. It's going to pay dividends for sure. When's it going to be done? So the painter's coming in this week, and the bathroom will be done, and then we're done. So I would within a week or two, it's done. Oh, well, I, at least I have a place to stay. You know, I you know, get to come up and spend, spend a couple of weeks, pay some rent, you know? B-Y-O-A-M. Bring your own air mattress. <laughs> At that. We'll be good. We'll be good. Oh, anything you want to say to wrap up this? I know we've probably been more than annoying here. No, I mean, if anyone's <laughs> made it this far, they've already heard of the interview. They're just probably doing something and they don't have time to end it. But yeah. if, they're still listening, <laughs> if they're still listening to, to this, I, I we appreciate all you guys listening and all the support, all the feedback. Text us, call us, message us, everything. Um, anything you want to see, anything you want to see us add, delete, change, whatever. Um, we just appreciate it. And if there's anything in this podcast you see value of, please share it. That's really it. I mean, it like we bring people on from different corners of the world on purpose because we hope that you get impacted by it, even just if it's just one conversation, you know, it's really all the name of the game. And selfishly, we are extremely impacted by it by having these interviews and connecting with these people. We've created so many great relationships that we still talk to these people personally now on a, a week-to-week basis, month-to-month basis. Tone, we have a fundraising campaign I need you to remind everybody about. Absolutely. We had Brandon Gedition on two weeks ago. Check out that podcast. We started a fundraising campaign for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. All the proceeds are going to go back to that. We, we made tote bags with the Learn Lead podcast on them take them grocery shopping, take them anywhere, take them to the beach, do whatever you'd like with them. But if you donate, let us know. We will send you those bags. I will personally send you a handwritten letter as well. Please donate. Yeah. The best way to, to make that happen, you can message the Learn Lead podcast. We can send you the Venmo request. You can send us your, your info. We'll, we'll make it happen. $20 for three bags. That's pretty much what we're, we're aiming for. If you just want one, what's the donation? $10 for one. $10 for one. Yeah. So we just, I mean, it's kind of a no brainer just to, if to get three, just, just spend 20 bucks. It's going to a good cause. We're making not a single dollar on this. We're actually losing money, sending things and shipping, but it's for a good cause. So we see value in it. Don't be cheap guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the learn lead podcast where you get to own your life. Stay tuned for our future guests coming soon. Make sure to like, and subscribe.